Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. thoughts on thoughts you have kj and taylor with you today to answer your questions that you submitted to us on the social media we're just gonna dive right in this is a good one this individual said sometimes i get really frustrated parenting and i yell i hate myself so much every time what can i do just this question it just like makes my heart hurt for this person because I get it. I can't say we all get it. I would assume that a lot of us get it if we're honest with ourselves, but I personally get it. It's really tough. It's really, really hard regulating your emotions constantly around the clock. And then when we don't and we yell, you you really do. You just feel like super guilty and super crappy And it's really easy to negate those hours and hours of really good emotional regulation for that couple seconds of yelling. So I think the first thing to do is just like take a step back, give yourself a little bit of grace, a little bit of space and room to recognize that you're trying your best and that this happens to people. Once you've done that, then I think we can talk about a few strategies in order to help you so that you can deal and cope and hopefully not feel as guilty because that feeling sucks. So first, I think it's really, really important to recognize that in order to emotionally regulate, sometimes we need space. We can't always have space with our kids, right? I distinctly remember a circumstance. I have kids that are 18 months apart. Scout was due and Boone was like six months old. And Scout was screaming at me like, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And I have another crying baby in my arms. And I just kept saying to her over and over and over, Scout, I can't. Scout, I cannot pick you up. I cannot pick you up. She's just screaming. She starts throwing stuff. And I just raised my voice. I was like, Scout, stop. Like, I can't pick you up. I'm holding the baby. Oh, my gosh. Like, waterworks on my part. She was fine. I felt terrible, you know. So then I'm crying. Baby's crying. Yada, yada. In that situation, I didn't really have time to take space, but I think it is good to recognize that when you can, you should take space. When you're feeling emotionally escalated and you can feel that emotion level just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling up all the way. So when you can, walk into the bathroom, close the door for literally just a couple of minutes. You might have some fingers curling up underneath the door. (laughs) That's totally fine. They'll be fine for a moment. But just go in there, close your eyes, take four really deep breaths, and then just do your best to kind of calm down your body, slow your breathing, slow your heart rate, and know that you can go back out there. If you can't do this, say that you have to stay in the situation, there isn't a bathroom or a door to close yourself in, stop what you're doing, even if everybody's crying and screaming, close your eyes and take those deep breaths. It won't be as relaxing as it would if you were completely by yourself, but it's really good to stop and breathe and calm down the best you can. 
Next, what you can do is you can stop your kids and say, hey, I'm feeling very, and then name an emotion. Typically for me, it's frustrated. I'm feeling very frustrated right now. I need to take a minute to calm down. I'm going to do some breathing in order to calm down my body. And then if they're continuing to cry or scream or whatever, that's fine. Do what you need to do. This is really, really good actually to name an emotion because it shows your children how to emotionally regulate. A lot of the time as parents, we feel like we can't show our children our emotions. We don't want them to see us when we're sad. We don't want them to see us when we're mad or embarrassed or anything like that. But our kids have these emotions all of the time. And if they don't see their parents modeling how to manage those emotions, they won't know how to do it themselves. So it's really good for them to see me go, hey, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I'm going to take a second and do some breathing to calm down my body. I will help you in a moment. So it's kind of taking a moment, naming an emotion, telling them what you're going to do in order to address that emotion, and then making a boundary. So those are a few different things you can do. Take a break in the bathroom, breathe in place, breathe in place and name an emotion for your child. Now, another thing that you can do, say that you have had a really hard moment and you've yelled at your kids. You've just like totally screamed at them and you're like, you guys got it out. I can't do this anymore. What you can do there, bring yourself down to a functional level by breathing or removing yourself from the area. And next, the next thing you need to do is apologize. And I know that for some people that feels weird or that you lose power by apologizing to your children, but that is absolutely not true. Apologizing to your children shows them that you are human, that they deserve apologies and that you that's what you do when you make a mistake. So that a lot a lot of the times that looks like for me in my house say I lose it on my kids. I come back to I'll use my daughter Scout as an example. Hey Scout, I've really calmed down now and I'd like to talk to you. You know, a few minutes ago I was feeling very very frustrated and I yelled at you. I'm really sorry for yelling at you. I shouldn't have done that and I'm going to try to do better next time. And then I let her talk to me, tell me how she's feeling. Most of the time, honestly, I don't think there's ever been a time when my children haven't gone, it's okay, mom. I love you too. Like just immediately. But it's important because when they do that, say they yell or scream or get super emotionally escalating, can't bring themselves down, that they will then come to you and say, hey, mom, I was feeling really angry. I'm really sorry I yelled at you. I'm going to try to do better next time. So it's kind of modeling that behavior for your kids. So moral of the story, it's very hard. Sometimes we yell, be kind to yourself, but try some of these strategies in order to just bring yourself down. And if you need to apologize to your children, this should be like a pretty consistent thing in your household, apologizing to your kids. So it's good practice. And we had another question that was very similar to this, just about, you know, how do you deal with your big emotions when your kids are around? So maybe that's, you know, not even because of your kids and it's something else you have going on. So a lot of these coping strategies that Taylor mentioned are key. And then I would also suggest scrolling back quite far in our episodes to an episode called Parenting Your Window of Tolerance. And in this episode, we talk all about how to parent 
when you're feeling kind of outside of that window of tolerance, basically when you're losing it. Okay, our next question is, how do you set a boundary with a father-in-law? He steps in when I try to parent my kids all the time. This is so frustrating when this so is happening. Frustrating. It is so hard when other people try to parent your children for you. So this question, though, is a little bit complex because you have an in-law dynamic, which in and of itself can complicate things. So... There's a few ways you can go about it, kind of depending on the dynamics in your family. First and foremost, I would suggest talking to your partner, talking to your spouse about how this is frustrating to you and getting on the same page with them in how you feel like you both want to go about this. Hopefully, your spouse is on the same page with you as far as it's a problem. And if they're not doing some of that communicating so that they can understand your perspective and why you feel like it's a problem and why it is hindering your relationship with your father-in-law and causing you to be frustrated when you are spending time over there. And then hopefully after you have some of that conversation, you can get on the same page as kind of like a plan of attack for the next time you're in that situation. Then this is where it can get a little tricky. It kind of depends on your personality and some of the relationships going on. So if you are feeling currently uncomfortable with setting that boundary with your in-laws, then hopefully your spouse will do it and set the boundaries with his parents as far as not parenting your children and allowing you guys to parent your children. And then maybe over time you get more comfortable because often with boundaries you have to repeat them and maybe over time you get more comfortable and then you can set those boundaries as well. Or if you're kind of at the point where you're like, look, we are both going to be setting these boundaries because I'm over it and I'm just ready to establish a new pattern, then you can both go into the situation ready to set that boundary depending on who's there at the time. So what does a boundary look like? We actually have scripts for this on our social media if you want to go look at it and come up with some ideas beforehand, but I'll give you a couple. So Mm -hmm. you could say something like, hey, I've decided that when you parent my kids for me, it's not effective and it is uncomfortable for me. So what's best for me is that I am the one parenting my kids from now on. Or you could say something like, If you continue to parent my children when we're over here, then I will have to come over here less often. What you're doing there is you're saying what the boundary is. So I don't want you parenting my kids. You're expressing why. It's not good for us. It's not good for me. It's not good for my kids. And then you're expressing what the consequence will be. Basically, we won't want to be here as much. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking it's really important to make sure that when you make that consequence, it's something that you will follow through with. 
So it's kind of, you don't want to make it so extreme that it's something that would be really punishing you, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like if you continue to parent my children, um, you will never be asked to watch them again, you know, but then it's kind of like, say you get in a bind or you need their help or, or something like that. And then that just kind of undermines the boundary consequence. So, so really think about those consequences, make sure that there's something you can and are comfortable with moving forward if you need to. And it's totally fine to make the boundary even more specific. Those examples I gave are pretty broad because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I have to go off of with the question. But if if he's doing something specific, like, yeah. um, you know, yelling at your mm-hmm. kid for something mm-hmm. and you're fine with other things he does when he like redirects your children to not do certain things in their home and that's fine with you, great. But if it's like a specific behavior he's doing around a specific situation, then you can be um, specific in your boundary that this Mm -hmm. is the behavior that's really troubling to me and I would like for you to do something different in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next question is, what is the process of becoming a mental health therapist? So we can really only speak to our experiences. There are multiple avenues that you can go down to become a mental health therapist, such as you can become a social worker, you can become um, a marriage and family therapist, you can become a licensed professional counselor, you get your PhD in psychology, or you could even be a psychiatrist with an MD and do therapy. So there's lots of different ways that you can do it. I decided to go to grad school for social work. I got a bachelor's degree in sociology and marriage and family studies, but you can really get a bachelor's in anything as long as you have the prerequisites for your program. And so social work is very, very cool in my opinion uh, because it's really broad and that's what I liked so much about it. It really took kind of a systems approach to it. It wasn't just so much of like what's going on with the individual. It was like, well, what's their school life like and what's their family life and their environment and their work life and their culture and all that stuff. So you can go to graduate school typically for two years and in that you'll do coursework as well as internships to give you enough hours to graduate And then after that, you have to complete, according to your state, a certain number of licensing hours. In California, I had to complete 3,200. KJ had to complete 4,000 in the state of Utah. And lots of different types of therapy and casework and psychoeducational stuff. And then once you're licensed, then you become a licensed, for us, clinical social worker, and you're able to work in a therapeutic capacity. Yeah, so you can do therapy all along. You're just supervised for those 4,000 hours, and that doesn't mean you have someone in the room with you as you're doing therapy. They're just there like one hour a week where you go talk to them about your caseload and what you're seeing. And then, like Taylor said, once you're licensed, then you're kind of, I mean, you're like legit, right? So you could have a private practice. You don't have to be supervised anymore. Typically, well, I think always comes with a pay increase. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. 
I can't imagine myself doing anything better, but I really love like the mental health world. I feel like it helps me be a better wife and it helps me be a better woman and a better parent to my children and a friend. So I think it's so great. And depending on where you end up working or what area of mental health you end up working, it can be extremely flexible. I mean, I have a husband who's a resident and in the medical field and I have three children and I run a private practice and I'm able to do that because of just the nature of the job. So it can be really great that way. We recommend it. And if you have any other questions about private practice or anything like mm-hmm. that, just let us know because yes. we know. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And our last question for this month's Q&A is, I'm so triggered by crying for my two-month-old and screaming for my three-year-old. How do I cope better? This is so hard. <laughs> When you have young kids who are screaming, I think this situation would be hard for anybody, but especially if maybe you are more of a highly sensitive person that Mm -hmm. can be easily triggered by a lot of noise in your environment, a lot of chaos. So, Like overstimulated too. It can be really hard to concentrate. Yes. So... What really this can entail is you finding ways to calm down your central nervous system in moments like this. Mm -hmm. And earlier, Taylor talked about taking those deep breaths. And I think that is so important. And I think what has been so helpful for me when I'm feeling this like overwhelm when I have a screaming baby is putting my baby somewhere safe and stepping out and taking deep breaths, calming myself down, giving myself a little pep talk, and then going back into the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that can get twice as hard when you have two screaming children. Mm -hmm. But I like what Taylor said earlier, where you like go to the bathroom if you have those little hands under the door. It's okay. Yeah. And I think that this is all really true and necessary in the moment, like when it's happening, doing all the skills that we've talked about. But something else, especially if you have like two really small children, you find yourself getting triggered a lot, overstimulated a lot by all that noise and energy. There's a lot of energy that's emitted from children. And it can be really hard for us to cope with that energy. So I think kind of uh, coping ahead, which is also a concept that we've talked about in a few other episodes. But say before your husband goes to work in the morning or your partner leaves or whatever, go for a walk in the morning. You know, go grab yourself a, a like a coffee or a tea or something. Like do something habitual in the morning that's good for you that is – it sends a message to yourself that you are prioritizing yourself. You're prioritizing your wellness and you're doing something that's good for you. Um, I remember having a friend. She had a couple of kids and whenever – I would be like, oh, how do you do this right now? Like, you must be so tired. And she was like, oh, yeah, every day when my husband comes home, I get right in the bath. You know, I give him the kids and I get in the bathtub. She goes, and I take a bath right before dinner starts, before all the chaos starts. I take a bath and I'm completely alone. And that's something that I do for myself. You know, so I think just kind of like 
coping ahead, building things into your schedule, always having like a date night with your partner that you can look forward to, a girls' night, a different night of the week, an evening that is set aside just for you reading your favorite book. You know, it is always really good when you can leave your kids when they're not sleeping. I've noticed this. It's really easy for me to make plans after my children go to sleep, but I always feel like something special is happening when I get to leave my children when they're awake, you know, <laughs> like with, with Logan or something like that. If he's like, oh yeah, take the afternoon and, you know, go do some things that you need to do. And I'm like, oh, that feels good. Like I feel like a human taking time during the day to do something for myself. I know this can be really hard with schedules and naps and kids, but when you do something for yourself or when you cope ahead, it sends the message to yourself that you are a priority as well. So that later on when both of your kids are screaming all day and you're having to do some deep breathing, it also is kind of a thing where it's like, you know what? I took my walk this morning. I felt really good. This doesn't have to be a bad day. Like this doesn't. This can still be a good day. So I think prioritizing yourself as well as doing those in the moment strategies that we talked about. And if you need to cry too, mm-hmm. right along with them, yes. just let it, let it flow, yeah. let it go. <laughs> that is real. Yes. Absolutely. Baby's crying. I'm crying. We're all crying. We're all crying. We're all coping with those tears. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you all for sending in some questions. We will get to more next month, or you can always send us an email at thoughtspot at gmail.com or message us on the social medias. I don't know why I say it that way, but I like it. I like it's it. It's better, you know. It's better. It's like the interwebs, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you know when we have a new episode each week. And please leave us a review if you like what you are hearing. We appreciate it so much. Adios. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.